0: Thank you. Jesus, strong and kind, we can trust in him, and we must. He is the Savior who brings children and adults and all salvation as they place their trust in him. We're in Mark chapter 8 this morning. Thank you, Miraz, for bringing us that word. We're in Mark 8. As we all know, um, the virus has reached into the White House this last uh, this last week. We want to keep our president and Mrs. Trump and the others who have been affected by the virus. And the president is in the hospital. We want to pray for our president and for our country. Um, certainly, the pandemic is uh, not past. It's not a past thing. It is an ongoing struggle, and we must be careful we must continue to be careful but let's uh, let's just take a moment and pray uh, also for the president shall we our father we are grateful that you are a god of mercy and grace and compassion and that you have all things in your hand you are in charge of all things you are in charge of all nations we commit our president to you lord we pray for your guidance for those who care for him Uh, Grant that they may be given wisdom and know exactly what is wise and best for him. We pray for recovery. We pray for your healing touch. We pray that in these hours and days you would draw him to yourself and grant that he may humble himself before you and trust with all of his heart in the Lord Jesus. We pray. We pray, Lord, for all of those suffering uh, or who have suffered loss from the pandemic and we pray for your grace and help Lord for our nation for those who are battling against uh, this illness and for all who are who are suffering grant Lord your help grant your guidance for those who seek a vaccine and we pray Lord that you would help us as a church we pray that you would protect us from an outbreak here we just pray your help Lord, you are our strong tower. You are the one to whom we turn. And we trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 8 this morning. The title of the message is Finding Life's Center. That certainly is something that we all need. I'm going to read the passage beginning at Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, Jesus asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about this about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples he rebuked Peter, "Get behind me, Satan," he said. "You have in mind the things of you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men." Then he called the crowd along with him, along with his disciples, and said, "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to give up his whole, the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. We need a proper understanding of the Christian life. Some may think of the Christian life as analogous to a man sitting at the, on the couch with the remote in his hand and watching TV and he just flips the channels until he finds what he wants and there he settles in and anything he doesn't want he just flips the channel the danger is that we think of ourselves or we become a consumer Christians or we bring a consumer mentality to Christianity you know Christ is in my life to give me what I want and if he brings something unpleasant then I'll just uh, well I'll just avoid that and I'll flip the channel Um, but God, God is not a genie uh, to, for our self-gratification. We cannot be uh, consumer Christians. In this passage, we come, to, well, we come to the theological center of Mark's gospel. Uh, it is the hinge of the gospel of Mark and in this passage Jesus teaches us the meaning of the Christian life and the meaning of discipleship now let me sketch the situation here it says we're in Caesarea Philippi Caesarea Philippi is to the north of Galilee I don't have my map here this week but it's north of Galilee Uh, it's up by Mount Hermon Um, there was a Caesarea that's on the coast this Caesarea was uh, a uh, site that uh, where uh, Herod the Great had built a marble temple, and Philip had expanded the city. Uh, so it was called Caesarea Philip's Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi to distinguish it from the other Caesarea. But it is a, a a pagan center. It is a it is a place, a Gentile city where Caesar is Lord, even the name of the city is Caesar, Caesar is Lord here as they come to this region I keep, keep in mind that, that Jesus is in a period, they're, they're in a period of withdrawals here, they're withdrawing from Galilee withdrawing from the constant uh, overflow of crowds that they had encountered the two purposes are one rest, two Jesus is teaching his disciples so as they come to this region, Jesus asks, Who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, Well, some say you're Elijah, or some say you're uh, John the Baptist raised again, or you're, or, or, or you're one of the prophets. And these are very high estimates of Jesus, but they're all preparatory. They're all persons who are anticipating the arrival of the final fulfillment. And of course today people still think highly of Jesus but often, or very often, underestimate who he really is. He was a great teacher or a prophet uh, or uh, one who brought great morals and so forth. But Jesus doesn't let the question remain impersonal. He says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And every one of us needs to recognize that Jesus addresses that question to each of us. Who do you say I am? Very personally, not impersonal. Who do you say? Peter answered the question You are the Messiah, not someone preparatory, not a prophet. Not Elijah who was to come in preparation for the Messiah. No, you are the one. You are the fulfillment of Israel's hope. The fulfillment of the scriptures. You are the Messiah. Now, Peter has found life's center here. Trust in Jesus as the one, the Savior, the King. The very thing that the children just sang about. Trusting in Jesus, strong and good. You know, in all of his preaching and teaching, Jesus has never used this term. Messiah. Never on his lips. This is the first time the word appears in the Gospel of Mark, except for the title. In the title of the book, 1-1, this word appears, but now appears here for the first time. Peter is speaking for all the disciples, uh, and he is basically saying, we're trusting that you are the one now this is a tremendous step of faith for Peter because in Peter's mind, the Messiah will be a conqueror, a great warrior conquering the, the enemies of Israel. So it's a tremendous step of faith to him. It's not obvious how Jesus is going to do this. Now let me, let me just show you a quotation from a Targum that gives you an example of the kinds of things that the Jewish writers were saying about the coming Messiah. I think we're going to show this uh, above. They wrote, How fine is the king, the Messiah, who will rise from those of the house of Judah. He girds his loins and goes forth and sets up the ranks of battle against his enemies and kills the king's together with their commanders and no king or commander can stand before him. He reddens the mountains with the blood of their slain and his garments are dipped in blood. That's the expectation, the Jewish expectation. He'll be a great warrior. He'll rout all of the Gentiles and Jerusalem will be the center of the world He'll be a great king. That's their expectation, and that's, that's Peter's expectation. And yet, Peter says, even though there's n- Jesus not been gathering swords or armies or chariots or horses, Peter says, you're the Messiah, even though his expectation is probably basically that, a warrior. Now, that statement, you are the Messiah, is the turning point of, this, of the Gospel of Mark. Right here, it's the hinge. Before this time, in the Gospel of Mark, we've had crowds and we've had parables. After this point, we have more focus on the disciples. Now, there's still crowds, but fewer, less attention to crowds, more focus on the disciples, and there is plain, clear teaching. So, this is the hinge. This is where it starts. Jesus had not used. Notice that Jesus says in verse 30, don't tell anyone. That's what he says. Don't tell anyone. This is exactly the opposite of what we're told. We're told, tell everyone that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Lord. But Jesus immediately says, don't tell anyone. Look at verse 30. Don't tell anyone. He warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus had not used this word Messiah of himself for this very reason. People had a complete misunderstanding of what the word meant. They had a misunderstanding of the mission of the Messiah. Now Jesus must fill the word with content. He must show his disciples what it means. Notice the first question of the passage is who do you say I am? And the second question really is, do you understand my mission? Even though that's not phrased as a question here, that's where he now goes. In verse 31, notice the word then. It's very important. He then, and only then, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and that he must be killed And that he will rise again. Only then did Jesus begin to teach them. Once they had come to the conclusion, you are the one. He now begins to tell them of the mission of the Messiah. For Jesus, the mission of the Messiah is found in two Old Testament passages. Or two Old Testament themes, I should say. At least these are the themes that are being addressed here. One of them is the Son of Man. In the book of Daniel, the Son of Man, in an eschatological passage, the Son of Man appears before the Ancient of Days and he is given power and authority and a kingdom and he'll rule forever and all the world worships him. He is the Son of Man. And that, of course, is the, is the phrase, Son of Man. Jesus is, calling, is constantly calling himself the Son of Man. But, and here he says the Son of Man must suffer Because the other Old Testament theme essential in Jesus' concept of his mission is the suffering servant of Isaiah. The suffering servant of Isaiah gives his back to those who beat him and his face to those who pull out his beard. The suffering servant uh, endures the sin of many and through his death justifies many. So Jesus says to his disciples, he says, uh, the Son of Man must suffer. Notice the word must. This is a matter of divine necessity. This is the plan of the Father. It can be no other way. The Son of Man must suffer. And notice it says that Jesus said this clearly. Quite clearly, verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. This is no parable he teaches it very clearly, and uh, th- there's no other way. Well, Peter, Peter is beside himself. Peter is shocked. I, I'm, all the disciples are shocked. They, they have no category for this. What do you mean? What do you mean the Son of Man must suffer? What do you mean the Messiah must suffer? Uh, for Peter, the words "suffer" and "Messiah" don't belong in the same sentence unless he's inflicting suffering on others. So he, 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 takes, uh, Peter, he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, put, put yourself in this situation. He's just confessed him to be the Messiah, <laughs> the anointed king. And now Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke and correct him. And um, so Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Well, that gives us pause. Get behind me, Satan. The, the very words, the words that he, used, he uses here are the words he used when he was addressing Satan in the temptation. Get behind me, Satan. So the disciple, which had trusted in Jesus and expressed for all of the disciples his faith that Jesus was the, was the one, is now the voice piece of Satan. You know, that, that gives us pause. An earnest Christian can actually uh, be resisting, uh, resisting the purpose of God and again giving expression to Satan's perspective. Boy, you look at the history of Christianity and that has been true countless times. That well-meaning disciples have actually been expressing uh, satanic resistance to God's purpose. Well, that's what Peter was doing. Well, now notice what it says. Verse 34, Jesus, he rebukes Peter. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God. You don't understand. You have in mind human things. And then notice verse 34, he calls the crowd to him. Everyone, come here. All, cr- he calls the crowd in along with his disciples. So this is for all of us, for all of them and for all of us. He said, If anyone w- would, wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For if anyone wants to save his life, he must lose it. Whoever wants to, whoever wants to uh, save his life must lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So Jesus speaks of three things to, to follow him. First of all is Self-denial second taking up your cross and third follow him. Let's think about these three expressions that appear in verse 34. First of all is self-denial. Now this does not mean asceticism or self-control. I mean it doesn't mean something like I'm going to deny myself certain things for lent. That's not what self-denial he's talking about the self as the center of the, of the person, that part of, of us which is in defiance of God that wants to rule my life, myself, I must set that aside. I must deny that and exchange the self as the ruler of my life for God. God becomes the center. We must find life's center in God's will and not in my will. In effect, I take that remote that I had and I give it to God. You are in charge. I am not in charge. That's the meaning of self-denial. It's expressed perfectly in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was in prayer and every fiber of his being as as, as, as as a man Recoiled against what was ahead of him. He was walking straight into the jo- jaws of hell. He, he recoiled against it, and yet he said, "Yet, not what I will, but what you will." That is the meaning of self-denial. Secondly, he must take up his cross. Now this is not a picture that is clear to us, but was very evident to them. We've never seen this. They had seen it on many occasions. He's referring to the Roman death march. A person who was crucified would be compelled to carry the instrument of his death, that is the the cross piece, the traverse beam. He would be compelled to carry it through a circuitous route through the city. He would either be lashed to it and carrying it in this way, lashed to the cross beam or he would carry it in some other way but he would be compelled to carry it himself all the way through the city to the place of crucifixion. That's the meaning of taking up a cross. For Jesus, it meant radical obedience to the will of God even to the death. And that is exactly what it means for us. It means radical obedience to the will of God even to the death. And thirdly, deny the self and take up the cross and follow me. This means to follow Christ on the path of obedience to the Father. Jesus himself, this word on the way, appears in various contexts in various ways and it's not always translated in English with the word way. But Jesus is on the road, on the way to Jerusalem where he knows what awaits him. So the picture is of Jesus followed by his disciples and all of them are following along carrying their cross pieces ready to die in obedience to God. So Jesus says that to everyone. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he gives three reasons for saying it in this way. First of all, it's a matter of value. In verse 35, verse 35 used to really, I mean, when I was a young reader of the Bible, I didn't have a clue how to understand this. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. The word life is used in two different senses in verse 35. It means life in this world or life with God. Whoever wants to save his life in this world by denying me will lose it. But whoever loses his life in this world for me and for the gospel will save it. So it's a matter of value. What do you value? What does it profit a person to gain the whole world? Be the possessor of it all, but lose his own soul. So it's a matter of value. Recognize what's essential and give yourself to God. It's a matter of value. Secondly, it's a matter of the judgment. Verse 38. Um... If you are ashamed, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes with his angels in glory, with God's angels. So imagine the shame in the final judgment of standing before God and having denied Christ. And imagine the joy in the final judgment of standing before God and having trusted and obeyed and honored Christ and confessed him in faith. And Jesus says it's a matter of the judgment. That's the second reason. The third one is that glory is coming. He says in 9.1, I tell you the truth, some of you who are, not, who are standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God come with power. Kingdom is coming. You'll experience its power And you'll see, and you'll taste it, and you'll know what I mean. So that's the third reason. So Jesus is saying here, this is life's center, life's center. To be a Christian is to be following Christ in obedience to to the Father no matter what. I want to look at this passage and come back and just emphasize three things. First of all, Jesus cannot be shrunk into merely human expectations. Contemporary Jewish expectations tried to shrink the Messiah. He'll be a military conqueror, a great political leader. He will be a temple builder. And they, he just couldn't be confined to defeating merely military enemies. He would defeat the ultimate enemies. He would defeat Satan and hell and death itself. He would defeat sin. Our contemporaries shrink Jesus also. Our contemporaries say Jesus was a great teacher. I mean, they may, they may think they're complimenting him. He was a great teacher or Jesus was, a, Jesus was a preacher of the end of the world, an apocalyptic preacher preaching the end of the world. He was mistaken, um, but that's what he was. Or he was a, a man who brought proverbs and, and uh, morality to our world or compassion. But they're shrinking Jesus. And Jesus of Nazareth shatters our expectations. Jesus Jesus healed the sick at his word. He raised the dead. Jesus walked on water. The Lord Jesus is the Son of God. He is God the Son. God become man, the Savior of the world, who enters his glory and his majesty through weakness, through suffering, through death. He will endure death death. In our place, in order to rescue us and redeem us from death and sin's grip. He will follow the Father's path no matter what. And so, this passage reminds us that no matter how great you think Jesus is, think greater. He is the Son of God and God is the Son. Secondly, the Lord Jesus calls us to complete obedience to God, even to the death. No matter what, obey God. It's very simple. It is very, very simple. Just obey God. No matter what. Jesus' disciples, for them, when he says, up Pick up, cross your crosspiece. Follow, follow me. I mean, many me of them either died or martyred. Literally. literally, literally, one the of them, one of, the of them, in Acts, 12, well, we we he was read as James as Anthony Anthony was beheaded. by, by hear, Agrippa. Peter, Peter was also on the Don, Don, because also on jail, jail. Peter, Peter, I knew I was freed, freed in Acts, 12, by an angel, But Peter's time later. They, they literally died, because they were Jesus' followers. Now, for us, we are not facing immediate physical danger. The police are not going to be waiting for us as we leave the church this morning in order to put us in handcuffs because we're here, because we're Christians. But the readers of Mark's Gospel, we don't know, for example, exactly where Mark's Gospel was addressed. It may have been addressed to Christians in Rome and they were indeed facing immediate danger. And so they hear this word of Jesus. Follow me. Obey me. Obey the will of God even to the death. And many of them did. We know that Peter and Paul, for example, both were executed when Nero was the emperor. Well, even if we do not face actual physical danger and death, many Christians today shrink back from, from embarrassment. They shrink back from dying from embarrassment because they don't want to stand up for Jesus or be publicly identified with him or stand for what the Bible teaches instead of just sort of going along. Well, Jesus calls us to this, in this passage to bold, open, obedience. Confess our faith, follow him, No matter what. If we're not faithful under a little pressure, pressure of momentary embarrassment, if we're not faithful under a little pressure, we will hardly be ready when our lives are on the line. It's amazing how a normal day can suddenly become a day when our lives are on the line. Let me remind you of Cassie Barnell. Cassie Barnell went to school another day. It was another Tuesday, just like every other day. She went to school. But on this day, April 20th, there were two students walking around the school with guns in their hands. And you could hear the loud explosions, the guns going off. And suddenly one of those students with a gun in his hand stood in front of Cassie Bernal and he said, do you believe in God? Cassie Bernal said, there is a God and you should follow in his path. The shooter, the man, the kid with a gun in his hand said there is no God and he shot her down. Cassie Barnell had been taught by Jesus how to live and she was ready and Jesus was with her when Cassie Barnell was shot down. That was Columbine, April 20th, 1999. Cassie Barnell had found life's center in Christ and that's where life's center is. That's the meaning of the Christian life. I will follow you. I will follow him. I will follow him. No matter what. Thirdly, we find security. This passage reminds us we find security not in this world, not in our possessions, but we find our security in the kingdom. You know, we have our properties. We have our insurances. We tend to insure everything to the hilt and find our security here. But this world and everything in it is passing away. We are choosing instead the kingdom, the promise. Jesus said in this passage, some of you, I tell you the truth, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with Power. I think that passage, that promise is primarily fulfilled in the resurrection. When the world was turned upside down, when Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, walked out of the grave. The resurrection, the power of God, the kingdom of God come in power. And his resurrection guarantees ours. This morning, this passage has three questions for us. One, who do you say I am? who do you say I am? Secondly, do you understand my mission? Thirdly, will you follow me? The word of God for today. Now Pastor Mike is going to come and lead us as we gather together around the Lord's table.
1: I hear the crackling of communion cups out there. That's a good sign. This is a good time to take your cup if you haven't and begin just opening it and get ready. This is a, a centering meal that we're about to partake in. We are prone to wander from the center. And Jesus, in his perfect wisdom, commanded his followers to, to observe this meal as a remembrance, to remind us of what is the center. What is the center? He's the center. For those of us, this is a, this is a table that we come to, for those of you who uh, may be weak, maybe you've stumbled this week, and you've gotten tripped up spiritually or fallen into some kind of sin, this, this table is here to remind you that no matter what you've done, Jesus doesn't love you any less if you are in Christ He doesn't love you any less. And it's for the prideful, those of you who may be thinking, I'm doing pretty good. God's got to be pretty pleased with me because I've done this list of things. This table is for you too, to remind you that no matter what you've done, you can't cause God to love you anymore because this table is about the cross. This table is to remind us that Jesus died and rose again for all of us. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, challenges them not to partake in this meal in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, for one, if you don't believe it, that would be an unworthy manner. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure you believe this, this is, this, partaking in this is a proclamation. You're proclaiming something. So uh, it wouldn't be right for you to proclaim something you don't believe. But if, if you want to believe, then this table is for you. And you can make peace with God right now, telling Jesus that you're a sinner and you want to put your trust in him to forgive that sin and to make you right with him. You can do that. And I'm going to give you a chance in just a moment to do that. How else can we partake in an unworthy manner? Well, maybe you're, you're in Christ. You've put your trust in Christ, but you're, you're willingly living in a way that's not in alignment with how Christ says we should live. And this is a moment for you to examine your own hearts with the help of the Holy Spirit and to confess that to God and get right with him. The other thing the other way I think we could do this in an unworthy manner is uh, the context of first Corinthians eleven where Paul gives these instructions, is that there were some in the church who were doing wrong to others in the church, and so if if you 're here this morning and, and you knowingly uh, are aware of a way in which you 've wronged another brother and sister in Christ, and you haven't reconciled that yet, uh, you can uh, get right with God in just a moment i 'm going to give you. A moment now if, if if you don't know the Lord and you want to put your trust in him now take this moment to do that if you are here this morning and uh, you're living in a way that's not compatible with following Christ take this moment now to to get right with him to confess that to him and if you're aware of a, a way in which you need to reconcile to a brother or sister uh commit to doing that now. So I'm going to give you a moment to reflect on those things before we partake together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. It's his death on the cross, his broken body and shed blood that alone atones for our sin fully and completely, reconciling us to you, making us part of your family. For that, we are thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your wafer now. Jesus took the bread and he broke it after giving thanks for it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in a remembrance of me. We are thankful for the broken body of Jesus. His death on the cross in our place as our only perfect substitute to forgive our sin. Thank you. We are thankful. Amen. And then Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we're thankful for the words of that old hymn, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice you've made for all of us to bring us into your family. We are forever grateful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our practice on Sundays when we observe communion to Uh, collect an additional offering Uh, so while we're not passing plates right now if you would remember our deacons ministry our deacons ministry serves to meet needs uh, for those in the body and so uh, if you're so inclined you can leave an additional gift uh, in the offering plates as you leave or give again online and just indicate that you're giving to the deacons fund and that would be very much appreciated
0: Okay, let's all stand and we'll sing our clothes.